Welcome to the Cryptocurrency Teens podcast, a podcast aimed to educate teens on cryptocurrency and financial literacy. Each episode features thought leaders in the crypto and blockchain industry or inspiring entrepreneurs from the business world who share their career journeys and words of wisdom for teenagers. I'm Abigail Lee, the host of this podcast series, the founder of CryptocurrencyTeens.com and a junior in high school from New York City. For this episode, I'm excited to interview Ed Lehner, university educator at City University of New York and cryptocurrency researcher. Hi, Ed. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah, of course. So Edward Lehner is an associate professor in the City University of New York system. Um, In addition to Ed's teaching responsibilities, he researches educational funding via crypto. His work proposes an innovative type of research fund using altcoins. Although not a total funding solution, Ed proposes that staking coins can be strategically invested in to yield compound interest. These coins use technologies to collateralize the network and speed the pace of transactions. Additionally, these staking coins pay dividends to masternode holders, so an institution that purchased these types of central hubs could potentially engage in a lucrative form of dividend reinvestment. Using cryptocurrencies as a new funding stream, it is possible that simply garnering large amounts of capital and creating a nonprofit institute could also be the future of funding scientific research. So, Ed, I see that you are the university educator at the City University of New York and cryptocurrency researcher. Can you tell us more about your organizations and your roles? Yeah, so, so thank you so much for the invitation. It's really exciting to be talking to you. And so I guess maybe the first question, you know, or at least when I think about, you know, talking to you and your audience is, you know, how do I get it? How did I get into crypto? And I think like everybody, I got into crypto through friends. Uh, my friends just happened to be, you know, Wall Street friends and people that I knew socially. And, you know, particularly there were people working with banks, back end people, people that, you know, support banking infrastructure that we know whether it's that infrastructure is on swift or other frameworks that speed transactions and more specifically as these people um that i work with when they were really close friends we developed a research group to start thinking about the financial crisis so this goes back you know a, a good 13 to 14 years when the first financial crisis happened back in 2008 and You know, many of us were reading the work of Nicholas Taleb Taleb Nassim. He's a professor at NYU. And his book, like the Black Swan event, really talked about some of the difficulties that the financial system uh, focused on. And so when we saw the financial crisis back in 08 and the massive printing of the U.S. dollar, which was nothing in comparison to what's happening today, we were very concerned. Yeah, so what do you do at the City University of New York and what's your role there? Yeah, so I'm a professor. Um, I teach in the education department, uh, which is quite interesting, right? Given crypto, uh, how mathematical and scientific and computer science focused that, that crypto is. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've been a, a professor you know, since the early 2000s. Uh, it's been my career and not until 2008 that I really get interested in finance. Um, you know, I'm a humanities person, an English person, a history person, and that's what I was hoping to spend my career doing. And I wrote a whole paper on, on how that dramatically changed uh, back in 08 uh, because of the financial crisis. And you know, although crypto wasn't invented, right? Satoshi didn't send that white paper until Halloween of 2008, 
and then that blockchain didn't start until January of 2009, I think everybody who was of age at that time realized that something was coming. Yeah. And can you tell us more about your role in your research group? I mean, what do you guys do? Yeah, no, sure. So, so I'm a full-time professor, but my research focuses on crypto. And it's just, you know, most academics, most academic professors just theoretically look at crypto. And my research group took a very different turn. Back in 2016 and 17, my research group, most of whom were, were are, you know, um, unidentified on purpose, um, we set up masternodes on the Dash network and on the PIVX network. And so we have a research paper on that. And, you know, back in those days, you know, Dash went all the way up to $1,800 and PIVX did something similar, you know, might've been as high as $400. And so we developed nodes. We opened up Unix boxes. We, we ran nodes using PuTTY, coin control. And so I'm a very specific scientific researcher as it relates to crypto as scientific as one could get more 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 computer science than, than let's say science and then we modeled you know how we might return those so that was some of the research back in 2016 2017 so we ran we ran nodes does yeah. that make sense yeah i mean i did some research and i saw that you mostly focus your your own research on how crypto provides opportunities to fund education and science research. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, yes, you, you have it precisely right, but there's a long hop, right, in order mm -hmm. to do that. So, um, if, for example, right now, you know, over the last year, I've been working with Electric Coin Company. That's the company that helped uh, launch Zcash. And we, you know, we work with the Brave Network. We work with Gemini Digital Currency Group. The Bronx Community College had a pilot course on crypto, and it was really engaging. What I learned from that is that it's probably just not enough to teach people about crypto. They have to be involved very specifically with a network. And so my research group, we we, we stake a lot of altcoins. One altcoin, we're only public with one altcoin. We stake many, many altcoins, but why we're public with a, a small altcoin called exclusive coin. This is probably maybe 2000 on, on coin market cap, maybe a market cap of over a million uh, dollars US. But our goal is to have a significant portion of that network. We probably have over 500,000 coins. And the goal is that people in the Bronx would be able to use it for paying for education, for paying for food while on campus. And, we think that's a very different type of research agenda than just talking about it. And so when we're working with people like the electric coin company, like uh, Digital Currency Group, like the Brave Network, Carlos Acevedo at the Brave Browser was such a help in, in running the academy. That's really what our goal is, that we would create a token economy using our altcoins. But also we've written software, you know, so we, we wrote uh, software that allows anybody to run any node either in DeFi or be able to run any node. So if somebody wanted to yield farm or somebody wanted to run from the protocol level, something like Bitcoin or Zcash, they'd be able to, they'd be able to run a full node. They of course wouldn't be able to get the block reward. You know, on Bitcoin, it's almost impossible. Even on Zcash, they, they have um, ASICs for Zcash. Yeah, so I think about this as a, from a teenager perspective, um, I have children, you know, I think, my children who are really interested in crypto 
um, they're very interested in DeFi. They're very interested in what's new. And so that's really important. So if we're thinking about, you know, Zcash, which is, you know, had its Genesis block, you know, five years ago, or Bitcoin, which had its Genesis block back in 09, those are harder to touch because of the consensus mechanism. And because the consensus mechanism is proof of work for both of those coins, it makes it impossible for somebody to uh, mine it. And so as we start thinking about DeFi and other applications, this, you know, this is the, the brunt of my research. I think Bitcoin's only use case and crypto's only use case in some ways is speculation. And so for a teenager, the idea is like, well, how does it become practical? How does, how does this become tangible? And this is our focus of our, our economy. We have many teenagers involved. Um, and yes, yeah, so there's still, there's, Abigail, as you know, there's still lots of work to do, primarily in education in crypto. Yeah, speaking on um, practical applications, I think earlier you said something about using altcoins in the Bronx. Is that a real, have, has that been implemented already? Yeah, no, so we're, we're working um, with the city. You know, we're uh, applying to uh, what they call, ex, you know, accelerators, which allows you to develop a product. So we have a product, um, which is a product that allows you to stake any altcoin um, using a virtualization process, but it's not yet implemented. There's lots of hurdles related to one, um, a wallet, you know, making sure that, you know, for example, something like our all small altcoin exclusive coin, we, you know, we're trying to make that active connection to wallet and spending. And so this idea of partnering with people like uh, the Flexa wallet, uh, which is somebody that we partnered with during our academy. And Flexa takes Zcash and Bitcoin and, um, and the BAT token. And so that idea of then extending it to small altcoins is something that, that we're actively working on. Yeah. Um, so in addition, so what have you found out in response to how crypto provides opportunities to fund education and science research? Like, um, what are like the results of your studies so far? Yeah, I, I think the results of our study is that something like Bitcoin or Dash or PIVX or other altcoins, they you can't really you can't give them to people to buy things, right? So for example, you know, most of my students, you know, they're students from the Bronx and uh, like all students, there's struggles with paying for tuition and living. And if you're going to be working and studying full time, that's a full time job. And so to encourage somebody, let's say to buy Bitcoin, let's say somebody bought Bitcoin in May. Um, you know, there's really no utility for a student who has very few resources to put their money in coins. Um, and I say this because, of course, within crypto, whenever we're doing a podcast, there, this is not financial advice. But beyond that, people can't take volatility risk. And what I mean by volatility risk, if I buy Bitcoin at $62,000 and it goes to $31,000 like it did this summer, that volatility risk is significant. So what our research is trying to do is to use an app like Flexa or some other type of app that would allow a person to buy into an altcoin. Let's say it's Zcash. Although we, we've, we're focusing our research on exclusive coin and other coins that co will come after it, let's say it's Zcash. If somebody bought Zcash and then they were able to use that within the app to buy groceries at a very discounted price, 
uh, would be able to buy all their necessities at a very discounted price and ran a full node with Zcash, then they'd be able to keep, they wouldn't experience the volatility because they would buy, let's say, move directly to a stable coin. Um, or the app had its own stable coin, or the app had its own points. That type of research is really engaging to me. And many people within crypto are doing it. Uh, you know, crypto uh, credit cards, crypto point rewards. You know, I think about BlockFi and other people within that, that domain. So that's really encouraging. And, but that type of research that's being done primarily in places like the Bronx, where there are fewer resources, where people can take volatility risk and there's fewer amounts of savings, this is where the research needs to be done, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would say that when you're investing in crypto or just investing in general, you can only invest what you're willing to lose. And I think a lot of the times that's definitely an issue if you aren't able to lose that sum of money that you're investing. Yeah, and that's where the research really gets exciting, Abigail, because let's say, for example, in Venezuela, right, where, there are, where there's, the currency is so um, profoundly diluted, if people are buying Bitcoin and spending it right away, then there's utility, there's liquidity, and it makes sense right, uh, right away. In places like the U.S., where the dollar is losing a lot of value, if crypto, and this is, this is the goal of my research, right? If, I, if we as a, as a team and our partners go across CUNY and across New York, if we can create a risk-free there's such an incentive to stay on the app or stay within, within the coin itself, whether it be an altcoin, whether it be Bitcoin proper, that there's so much research that needs to be done around that. Um, and that, that's why you know, this is the most exciting game in town, I, I think. So how did you make the transition from researching effective learning methods to going to like conducting research on crypto funding education and science research? Yeah, so a lot of it, um, it's a big thing I think within education, right? Um, let's say uh, some of your listeners are going to college this year or if they're in college this year, they'll be exposed to a lot of theory, right? Theory around philosophy, theory around race, theory around history. And primarily most of that's theory. Um, there's not a lot of application that you can bring into the world. And, 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 and I don't mean to discount education, but it's really interesting, but it primarily stays at the theoretical level. When I started to study crypto and realized that you could buy assets and the assets could profoundly grow, the question becomes then what do you do with that wealth generation? And then that made me really think, well, um, if somebody's gonna really get involved in crypto, a person needs to be involved at the command line, that is writing code, um, you know, running nodes, figuring out how that's done. If not, they just become users, uh, right? And so, for example, if you're just a user, your crypto, your Bitcoin's on Coinbase, you know, and um, you can sell it or you can't, right? Of course, there's always a liquid market on Coinbase, but whether you get the high, whether you get the low, um, you're a user, you know, or, or in New York, we only have two options, right? We only have, Bit, we only have uh, Gemini and we have Coinbase. Um, I, I guess unless you're going to use Coin, um, uh, the Cash App, but you don't get your real Bitcoin on, on Cash App or, or any others. So you're just a user. My research focuses at the command line level, which is we wrote code, um, we have a, a virtualization process. And what that means is if you're running exclusive coin or if you're running 
um, PIVX or you're running any staking coin, you can run that rather than just downloading the entire chain onto your own environment, your own um, uh, laptop or, or your own computer. The virtualization process allows you to use um, a virtual um, a virtual server. All everything is there, and you can run any node from that. And so, what we're going to do is tokenize that as a startup, right? It's called Open Your Node, OpenYourNode.io, and we're going to tokenize that as a startup with the goal of using our command line, using our software to run any crypto. And rather than that wealth being captured by a startup. The wealth could be captured by our students at the Bronx. And then we'd also have our own altcoins, right? Exclusive coin is just the first one of many altcoins. And people will say, well, you know, altcoin, altcoin is a bad coin. It's a shit coin. I don't think that's what Satoshi would say, right? Satoshi released, you know, the Bitcoin so software on SourceForge and anybody could fork it. And Charlie Lee did, right, with Litecoin. And we think there's an opportunity if you can get a community behind an altcoin, I think there's an opportunity for massive wealth generation. Right. And I just had a question. So using altcoins as a form of payment um, or just like cryptocurrency in general, um, why would you like do it necessarily if like the prices fluctuate so much in regards to, like crypto and stuff like that? Because after all, either the prices could like go up really high and then you wouldn't want to sell it or um, like your coins could really go down in value. Yeah, so that's volatility risk, right? So the volatility risk is, is great. And this is, I think, where a lot of research still needs to be done. So what I mean, the research still needs to be done. If I buy, let's say I get paid on the weekly basis and I'm you know, a middle earner, let's say I'm earning $52,000 a year and I won't account for taxes. Let's say I get $1,000 a week. Let's say a portion of that goes to my rent. portion of that goes to food. Well, if I can buy, let's say, a thousand exclusive coins or a thousand Zcash, and I remain within that can I create an entire network within that community to pay my rent, to buy my food? Can I stay out of the US dollar? And that's really, I think, what, what crypto is competing against. Zcash isn't competing against Bitcoin. Zcash isn't competing, uh, competing against Tezos, right? Bitcoin is in a class in and of itself, but altcoins aren't competing against Bitcoin either. Altcoins are competing against the US dollar. And we know that the US dollar is going sideways. And so the goal here is to create an ecosystem or create an economy. And this is what, you know, revolutionaries have always talked about. You know, if there's a way to be outside of the fiat system, outside of the governmental system. Um, and, you know, a well-known educator in the space is, you know, Andreas Antonopoulos says that big, um, that governments aren't going to take too uh, kindly to the idea of people wanting to get outside of the U.S. dollar. But I think that's really one of our only alternatives, I think, Abigail. Right. So I was just wondering, though, because do you think there are any potential dangers or risks of going outside of like fiat? Because if you think about it, like there's unregulation, there's no one. I know that's one of like the main benefits, like, oh, there's no government regulation, but at the same time, couldn't that pose as like a danger? Yeah, and so that's why as a university professor, we have to do everything above board. Uh, there's something called an IRB, Institutional Review Board. So you can't have any of your 
participants take any risk. So that's why, that's what really inspired me to look at this closely. And in terms of regulation, the government's always gonna say it's to protect people. But think about it, you know, seven years ago, right? 2014, almost eight years ago at this point, Wall Street made a concerted effort to create a bit license in New York. It was not to protect people, it was to protect Wall Street, right? And you know that uh, people who were involved in that uh, and, you know, and people uh, like the Winklevoss twins, um, like digital currency group, Barry Silbert, they were there to fight against it, but they saw it coming, right? They saw that Wall Street was being very proactive to protect its territory. And so when we think about regulation, the US dollar has been dominant for a very, very long time, right? Over 70 years, right? From the, since the Bretton Woods Agreement. The America doesn't want to give up the dollar, but we as Americans or, or in the world in general, where do you put your money? You know, what is a safe haven asset? Which I think is Bitcoin is redefining. So I'm sorry to make such a long-winded answer to uh, your question, but I think the question is, we within the Bronx Community College and within CUNY in general need to protect our students. We know that the US dollar isn't doing that. I know that the SEC and the Treasury and um, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, they're doing all they can to liquidate my savings and more broadly, the savings of everybody. Um, they're devaluing the dollar. So what is my role? I don't know, maybe that becomes a, a question you have, Abigail, right? As, as your listeners and as you, as you navigate college, all of these things are gonna be given to you, right? Uh, I know you don't feel like that now, but in, within 15 years, you know, if you have a law degree or a PhD, you're gonna be an associate professor, like making these decisions on an economics department, right? Or on a law firm. And so, you know, quite literally, I know it feels like um, probably to you and your listeners, like you're so far from this, but it happens very quickly where the reins of these institutions are given to you. And so I think, you know, real salient advice is to your, um, to your listeners is probably don't go and study crypto. Uh, NYU and all, all these places are setting up very, very expensive programs for things that you can learn on YouTube for free. Um, you know, and so I, I think, you know, go to the cheapest school possible, go to CUNY. Um, CUNY is free. Um, as long as you have a B average, uh, go to CUNY, study economics, study history, learn to become a great writer, and then spend four or five hours on YouTube every day learning all you can about crypto because no institution can capture how quickly, except for, of course, Cornell, right? Uh, Amir Gunsir, um, uh, Ari Jules, that program for developers is, is bar none, and that, that's the best. But for people in social sciences and crypto, and you're not a developer, and even if you are a developer, I have a whole network of developers uh, in Eastern Europe. They, they're great at the command line. They certainly can rival uh, what's going on at Cornell and beyond. Um, so I think, you know, maybe your money in crypto, uh, not financial advice, of course, Abigail. Yeah, of course. Don't worry. We have a disclaimer at the end that basically um, says all of this about how none of this is financial advice. Um, so do you have any advice for teens who are specifically wanting to learn more about blockchain or crypto, but are kind of um, a little bit intimidated by the really technical or like programming aspects of 
either blockchain or crypto? Yeah. So that's a great question, Abigail. Um, and I think when you look at that, first, um, to understand what's going on in crypto, what are the value propositions of crypto? And so I think, you know, your audience needs to study money. And so, for example, reading David Graeber, David Graeber has a book called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. That's a great way to start understanding what debt is, right? Or Neil Ferguson's work. Neil Ferguson has a great uh, work on the economic system. Uh, so, you know, reading Neil Ferguson or Jim Rickards. Jim Rickards has five or six books on um, the devaluation of the dollar. If your listeners spent, you know, $13 a month on a YouTube membership, right, with, with no ads, uh, and you can use your phone and, and not have to worry about it, I think, you know, that is, that's enough to become expert in crypto. And everything in crypto, right, whether it be Altcoin Daily or, you know, another great YouTube channel, the Coin Bureau, like this is top-notch education. You can't get it at Wharton at the Penn School of Business, or you can't get it at Columbia's Business School um, as, as much as I enjoy my time at Columbia. Uh, there's nothing like uh, crypto in the educators on YouTube. Yeah, so switching gears a little bit, can you tell us a little bit more about your career journey, career journey as a whole? I mean, like um, more about like how you get in, how you got into this industry in general. Yeah, so I mean, as a an educator, my whole life, um, Abigail, I, there's nothing like education, and there's nothing like the university. Um, I tried corporate many times, you know, I, um, and in fact, I still try corporate whenever I deal with cryptocurrency companies. There's a different culture um, in corporation compared to the university. I love university culture. And being a professor is like the best job I've ever had. And, I, uh, and I've already had it for 15 years and I hope to have it for another 15 or beyond. But how I got into this is I was really interested in ideas. And I think much of your audience, right? Like the idea of crypto is so compelling. And I was just so fascinated by the idea of how crypto works and you know, and then studying how consensus mechanisms work and how, you know, the proof of work uh, algorithm works, right? And what nonsense is and um, the SHA-56 algorithm. And then that led to proof of stake and then led to delegated proof of stake and uh, the DeFi. If, if your audience just spent four or five hours doing that for a week, you'd be expert on consensus mechanisms. And then, you know, you would see the inherent, I, I should maybe put it in the first person, I saw the inherent value proposition once I understood consensus mechanisms and the idea that things not being able to be forged. I was like, oh my goodness, Bitcoin, right? This, this white paper wrote code that can't be forged. What does that mean? Um, and, and very quickly, the Bitcoin community understood this in 2009, let's say through 2009 to 2011, is that maybe this could be a new store of value. And I think we're still contemplating that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's definitely like a really great thing about blockchain. Um, so as you know, our target audience are teens around the world who are interested in crypto or blockchain. So do you have any advice you would give them about entering this industry in the future as a career? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, uh, Abigail, the real, this really is the future career. And so then the question becomes, well, how do you prepare for it? 
know, I, I work with, you know, um, some of the major cryptocurrencies in New York City that are still here, right? That didn't leave for the bit license. For example, Kraken started here, right? Kraken started in New York, but they left. Um, you know, uh, um, Eric Voorhees, right, of, of BitInstant fame and more recently of, of Shapeshift fame. He started in New York, right? He came to New York. Um, the bit license drove a lot of that away. But for the companies that are still here, right, companies like Digital Currency Group, Gemini, uh, the Flex the Wallet is here. This is the most compelling industry to be in. But in order to do it, how, how can you be in this industry? Well, you have to write really well. Everything is done by email and crypto. I, I know that sounds strange uh, to give advice to somebody who's really interested, but if you have excellent writing skills, so much, of, so much of your business job will be done because so much is writing. You need to be able to speak well and speak articulately. And so I think you have to read widely. And so studying something like economics or history or English, um, those base humanity skills are so important. And I, and I know it sounds so uh, blase, it, it, it doesn't sound nearly as sexy as, as what crypto is, but those base skills will support your career. And then you have to be able to critically think, you know, as um, within crypto, and we get this all the time, there's a new altcoin, right, that's going to go to the moon and um, people are shilling it. We in crypto realize that, that that's what they're doing. Somebody's shilling it because they have their own interests. We can critically think. So anything that, that supports your writing, your critical thinking, your ability to speak articulately really is critical. Um, and I would stay away from crypto programs, especially at, at very expensive universities, because quite frankly, there's nobody in the space as better as an educator as Antonopoulos or the Coin Bureau or Altcoin Daily I, um, uh, or the Laura Shin podcast. Like Laura Shin for now for over almost six years has in giving great content on a weekly basis, somebody can get a PhD in that. Um, so I don't think universities have caught up with our industry. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you see in like the future of cryptocurrency as a whole? Because I know you have your free education project, which kind of is like really a product project for the future, in my opinion. So what do you see in terms of like, what will crypto be like as an industry when um, high schoolers right now kind of enter the industry? Yeah, what a thoughtful question. I think historically, people try to destroy our industry, right? So think about it way back when the IRS declared crypto as property and the double capital gains, right? If you buy, if you sell at any point, you know, you're, you're taxed all over with it. And then the SEC, right? The SEC right now with Gary Gensler is doing all he can to destroy DeFi. He will, he has a mission right, um, to destroy DeFi. That's, that's Gary Gensler, right? Um, so the IRS, the, 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 the SEC, the CFTC, right, they want jurisdiction over crypto. So I think in answering your question, you can tell how powerful this is based on its enemies, right? Based on the government lining up, right? Janet Yellen, right, from the Fed um, doing, I know that she's not the Fed chairman now, well, she's a fair judgment now, right? So you can see how powerful crypto is based on its enemies. So I think you know, the advice to your audience is and just take all this in um, from, you know, and, and because at some point you'll take it over, 
but you have to really take a long time of, of apprenticeship, right? Um, a long time reading about this and thinking about this. So I think that the future is all crypto because look at the stock market gains, for example, from the last year, all the stock market gains directly correlate with how much money was printed. And so that's really frightening. And what I mean by frightening is that Venezuela, its stock market has gone up every year. But that doesn't mean there's gains. That means that their, their currency is so crippled. I wonder if we're on a road to that path. And if we are, then your listeners, by preparing to become the next generation of crypto, really have um, an in in terms of career and the career knowledge required. Yeah. Do you have any additional advice for teens regarding the crypto or blockchain industry? Um, it could be safety advice or really any words of wisdom that you would like to share. Yeah. So I think, you know, in terms of, uh, I, I would really go back to studying the roots. So I would really encourage you if, if you haven't, if your listeners haven't read, for example, Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper, that's a really seminal book that brings you right to the beginnings of crypto, right? Right to the cypherpunks, to Hal Finney, to what the extropians were trying to do. There's a, there's a crypto history before crypto. And so I think really knowing that is essential. I think, you know, going back and reading Bitcoin billionaires, that brings you right back to the beginnings of the Winklevoss's um, intro into crypto and all the players who were in that orbit circa 2012, right? So that type of base knowledge is important. I think other advice is staying current. So if you know the history, and if you just do digital gold and Bitcoin billionaires, that's enough to give you a history of Bitcoin. And then if you do the future, right, study DeFi, use something like the Coin Bureau. The Coin Bureau, I cannot more highly recommend some, uh, some YouTube video than the Coin Bureau. They, they take on crypto as an academic discipline, never shilling a coin, so, so fully focused on the education of the space. There's hard to find anybody, it's hard to find a better educator than the Coin Bureau, except for maybe Andreas Antonopoulos. So I think that that is advice. If you can study history and study the future, and then um, your, your listeners will be equipped to see what's real and what's not real. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you didn't really mention like coding because I feel like a lot of people when I've asked this question, they jump immediately to having oh, a coding background or you know programming and computer science, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, so that's a, that's a thoughtful question, Abigail. I think that people who are developers and I've worked with so many developers, when somebody is in putty or using coin control, those, the developers in the industry, no doubt are, are leading the way. So for example, I, I think about, you know, Bitcoin and its core developers um, and Blockstream. You know, they're certainly leading the way. How many developers do we need? I don't know, right? Um, I know if you're in America and you're a developer, you're going to be you know, having a very high salary, let's say above $250,000 or more. But if you're starting a startup like I did, there's no way I can afford that. So there's, there's you know, I have a dev team um, in Eastern Europe, top-notch coders. They're, they're, they're working with places like um, my container and other uh, top places. Developers are getting paid well, but they're all, many are in Eastern Europe, many are in Asia. 
Many are outside of the states. So would I encourage somebody to get a computer science degree if they're not passionate about computer science? No. If, you're, if you love coding, if you love being in a command line, then it's then my advice is irrelevant. You are already in crypto at the command line, right? You're downloading protocols and figuring out what's going on. Um, but if you don't naturally gravitate towards the math of the computer science, then gravitate what you love within crypto, right? It's like I'm never at the command line, but I understand what it is. And I spot, I spend lots of hours studying it. But when I'm at the command line, I'm at the loss. Um, I'm not that skilled technically. Um, so I would say play to your strengths within crypto, something that you love. You, what you love about crypto, go, go a mile deep within it um, and stay away from things that you, that you don't really have a passion for. But there are basics you need to know about crypto, like consensus mechanisms and, you know, and how proof of work works versus proof of stake and, and why it will be important when Ethereum moves a proof of stake. But those things that maybe you need to have you know, five or six hours of studying it as opposed to five or six years. Right. So you don't think that success, I'm sorry. So you don't think that computer science is like a necessary ingredient to be successful in the crypto industry? I guess it depends on what you wanted to do. Like, so for example, with your listeners and with uh, people who follow you, you're talking with what type of careers do they envision within crypto? I would say, it really depends because obviously uh, crypto is such a broad industry, but what I've been hearing is mostly that it's really important to like have a background in computer science to really understand what you're like selling as a product or to just really understand it and to, to be able to explain it to others. Yeah. So do you have any challenges yourself? I mean, I, you don't have a background in crypto. I mean, in, in coding, am I right? Yeah, no, I don't. Mm-mm. So how do you feel like you're able to, um, understand everything completely and explain things to other people as well. Yeah. So, so I I don't want to overly harp, let's say on the consensus mechanism, but the consensus mechanism is solving an important riddle within computer science called the Byzantine generals problem. That is, how do you trust? How do you know that this isn't being replicated and multiple computers and it's a forgery, right? And so if you understand the proof of work concept, that the longest chain is going to win and that the consensus that the protocol is on everybody's computer, that is not something that takes five hour, five years of, of getting a, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, right? Um, there are people who are doing that work, like people like R. Jules at, at, at um, Cornell or Amir Gunsir or other researchers where they're deeply diving into it. But if you do a literature review on consensus mechanisms or some of the research that's being done out of Cornell, you'll see that that is such a specific knowledge set that may not play to your strength if you're not a developer. But if you are a developer, maybe that is you. So it's funny, Abigail, that we're, we're talking about careers. Careers are such a, they're going to be so robust in this industry. So for example, the people that I work with at Brave um, Carlos Acevedo. Carlos Acevedo was a New York City uh, school teacher for 10 years of his career. Now he oversees a significant portion of sales for the Brave Network. Um, and I think Brave is going to be, is going to compete with Chrome and other browsers as people get more and more savvy around its use cases. Um, people that I work with um, from who were in the academy, almost none of them, in fact, none of them have a developer's background. 
somebody um, that was developing a wallet uh, who was doing the work with, within Flexa, he learned a lot of those things as he went. Uh, and, and as he presented to the academy, he's not somebody who has this you know, 10 years of development experience. So this, I think right now we're talking about career preparation, but then how it meets um, startups. And so is, if you've ever you know, done a startup or been involved in a startup, much of it is piecing together new knowledge to create the new. So crypto creates the new, which is really so compelling. And it then becomes the question, how, what does college do, right? What does college do for a person? So now I sound like Peter Thiel, right? You know, Peter Thiel from PayPal fame, or um, he wrote the book Zero to One. Peter Thiel will say that, well, maybe college isn't required. I don't know. Those are brave frontiers, Abigail. That, that is, that's really interesting because you're a professor yourself teaching at a college. But definitely, I mean, a lot of resources are out there that are completely free to like learn and educate yourself. So I do think that to some extent, like you don't have to learn um, specifically at college if you're interested in the subject matter. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, think about your generation, right? Your, your generation Y. Right, I'm Generation Z. Generation Z, Generation Z, right? So, Generation Z, you're probably going to live another 85 years, you know. Um, so, the question of how do you prepare for a career? I guess the question becomes what career, right? Um, you know, I'm Generation X, right? Most the older portion of Generation X is in their mid to late 50s. Uh, younger is in early for uh, like early to mid 40s. I know I've seen many careers. Although I've been a professor, I didn't become a professor until I was in my 40s uh, or late 30s. There was 20 years of preparation to become a professor through and, and, and many jobs. So the question of what do you do to prepare for crypto? I think you stay close to crypto. And maybe your first job in crypto is selling a product or uh, selling the pension funds, or let's say you get a job with Digital Currency Group and you're you're, you're um, selling uh, GBTC, right? The, the Bitcoin proxy. If you don't know crypto, it's gonna be hard to do that job. So crypto becomes the central connecting point. I don't wanna to sound too religious, right? But if you talk to a good Buddhist, the Buddhist will always tell you, well, you don't wanna to become too attached to the world, but you wanna come, you wanna like be mindful. The undergirding theme I think of crypto is crypto. Right, like if you know crypto well, it will inform your career. If you don't know crypto, it's gonna be hard to it's gonna be hard to to be engaged. And there's many people who are in crypto who don't know enough, and so they they by definition become users. Um, I'm sorry, I, is even as I hear myself, Abigail, I sound too crypto specific, don't I? No, I do. I do understand your points. I mean, I was just thinking about. Any potential follow-up question? That is my thinking phase. Don't <laughs> don't think too much into it. I just I was just wondering if there's anything else I was thinking about asking. But yeah, um, I lost my train of thought. But yeah, that's really interesting. Everything that you've just said. I mean, I think that in any situation, if like if I have like a presentation I have to give, like if I don't understand the subject matter, then I won't be able to like think of unique and interesting ideas to incorporate. And it's just important to like know your subject matter in any situation. So you can innovate in order to like change this, change the foundations itself and just make things new things. You have to understand what you're working with, the basics essentially. 
Yeah, no, I, I think you, you have it absolutely right. And I think the deeper one a person goes into crypto, then they can iterate it into other fields, right? So a big field now, a big discussion, let's say within the culture is economic freedom and economic justice. So if you look at the book, let's say, um, Bitcoin in Black America by Isaiah Jackson, that's a really compelling argument. Right? Uh, and so if you're studying, if you're studying, let's say, economic justice and you're an undergraduate at Berkeley or you're an undergraduate at NYU, those will be important themes to, let's say, read Isaiah Jackson. But unless you understand Bitcoin or the, the value proposition of crypto, it won't make much sense. So I, I guess, you know, going back to the central theme that if crypto is your passion, you'll easily find a career. But if you're looking to get into crypto and crypto isn't your passion, I think you're likely going to struggle. Yeah. So did you have any other final thoughts or final advice that you wanted to share? Well, firstly, I want to tell you, this is such a great idea, Abigail. So thank you for having me on. And I think what you're doing is you're, you're taking a really complicated field, cryptocurrency, and making it relevant right, to your peers and people who either are in high school or are about to transition to college. And there couldn't be a more important mission that is making it relevant and making it culturally specific to, to uh, people who are in your age group and, and finding their careers. This is important, I think. Thank you so much. That is so kind of you to say. So um, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure and a really educational and insightful experience. Um, I really appreciate you sharing all of your experiences, suggestions, words of wisdom. I just really appreciate you spending your time with us. It was what, what a pleasure. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Cryptocurrency Teens podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and visit the CryptocurrencyTeens.com website to find extra resources and info. See you soon. Disclaimer, the views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Cryptocurrency Teens and its staff. Second disclaimer is that this is not financial advice. The information contained in this podcast is not intended as and shall not be understood or construed as financial advice. In general, the advice offered by our guests should be general advice about the cryptocurrency industry or the blockchain industry and not specific investment advice.